<laughs> Welcome to Watch Out, where we dig through our DVD dungeon, where we scour the endless streaming landscape, all to help you find some kick-ass horror movies. Hello and welcome to Watch Out, the horror movie review podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Our goal is to provide you with spoiler-free reviews and recommendations for both recent films and horror classics. I am Jason the Terrible, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, and I am joined from Vancouver, BC, Hi. as always, by Grave Robber Jeff. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and Slice and Dice and <laughs> we, we, we are striking out tonight, gentlemen. It's a good thing we don't edit these things. <laughs> we're keeping all that in, right? I think we should. Oh, God, we're hilarious. And welcome to episode 31. <laughs> wow. I know, eh? On this episode, our mini-review theme. Who picked the mini-review theme? I forget. Jeff! Oh, yeah! yeah and what a theme me. it was. So, Grave Robber Jeff, maybe you should explain what our mini-review theme is is this time well there wasn't much to it i thought maybe add a bit of a game to it you just take a dice and you roll it whatever a number you get you got to pick a movie with that many words in the title i i went and used like a 30-sided role-playing game dice well, well that's really fun. stupid of you jay why don't you just use a regular goddamn dice pal i rolled a 24 I'm yeah, kidding, so I didn't I, use a role-playing game dice. I was like, you have a role-playing dice, <laughs> you nerd? <laughs> Just I, kidding, hey. I do. You're not actually. nerds if you play role-playing games. So okay. yes, Grave Robber Jeff, I thought that was an ingenious theme. So you roll a single die. That's very appropriate for a horror movie podcast. I was just going to say that. Yeah. It's terrifying. I'm really excited about this episode. You picked a great movie that I've had in my the back of my brain for many a year. And then I picked a movie that I've been waiting to see for a few years as well. So look at that, eh? I watched two movies I really wanted to see this week. Well, originally the theme was something to do with food so I could pick popcorn for, for the mini review. <laughs> but then I thought, well, that might be hard to find food movies. So then I switched it up and then Jason goes and picks it anyways. So it worked out. All right, well, in the spirit of popcorn, since popcorn is a movie about a group of kids putting on a horror movie marathon at a theater, I thought I would ask the question, if you could pick any three movies to put on during a horror movie marathon in a theater like that, with a crowd like that, what would you choose? That's quite off the, off the cuff of a question. But you know what? If, like, I'd have to pick some fun movies or... or like the most terrifying movies that I could come up with. And then in this case, I think I'd go uh, more of the fun variety. And I'd pick one from the 80s, one from the 90s, and one from the 2000s. So um, I think my movie from the 80s would probably be Sleepaway Camp. Don't you think that would be fun? Nice, sure. Especially like the end of it when, when you know, the, the... Spoiler. And everything and everyone's going, oh my God, yeah! That'd be sweet. You just And then ruin people the throw movie. popcorn at the screen. Did I? <laughs> there, totally well, I just said a spoiler. There's, there's app. There is absolutely no context regarding a spoiler. So I could just imagine everybody throwing their popcorn in the air and going ah. 
and freaking going ah, and shaking each other and going, did you just see that? Oh my God. And then like, you know what I'm saying? And so that would be a good way to maybe start the night or end it. I don't know. I don't know what order this would be in. And then I'd pick one from the, from the nineties. And because I've already picked one from the eighties, I'd, I'd pick army of darkness. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That'd be fun. That's one I didn't get to see in the theater. I think it would be pretty sick to like have a bunch of dudes and dudettes watching it with you. Dress up as a bunch of weird deadites from Army of Darkness and stuff. And then uh, to finish it off, a movie that I saw in the theater. But I think if you had a big group of horror fiends, I think it would be uh, quite entertaining to watch. Uh, From 2002, Cabin Fever. Remember that one? That was a good mix of comedy and horror and gross. I think that would be a fun one. So I think that was like a, it'd be a fun night out at the theaters, that one. Just off the top of my head. Those would be the three that I would pick. Anywho. All right. Well, I think my first movie would be Freddy vs. Jason. A lot of fun horror icons, slasher, controversial. Uh, We'd follow that with Return of the Living Dead. Oh, that's a good one. And then one of my favorite films to to finish the night would be Reanimator. Ah, yes. I figured that was coming up there, Jay. Yeah. So not, not really related in any substantial way. Just a lot of fun. Yeah, like on a big screen, right? That'd be fun. I definitely would have wanted to see a couple of the ones I picked on the big screen, which I hadn't seen. So, Grave Robert Jeff, how about you? Oh, yeah. So, I guess for a marathon type thing, I think it would be fun to have, like, the the first installments of a bunch of the popular series, like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just bam, bam, bam. Sweet. Sick. I would go watch that. Hmm. Yeah. I think Jeff wins... <laughs> well i think all the halloween fans are going to be like what what <laughs> texas chainsaw what <laughs> well there's a, it's up you, for debate we you can can't please three. everybody yes you know what it's funny like to see nightmare on elm street one friday the 13th and goddamn uh texas chainsaw would be uh goddamn sick it would be nice choice grave robber jeff let's get into this mini review theme then so that means my dvd dungeon is up next. Jason the Terrible's DVD Dungeon. I rolled a single six-sided die, and I was kind of hoping for the number six because it would have been a challenge, but I found that actually the one I did roll is a challenge too. I rolled the number four, and I started to flip through my dungeon and didn't find too many with with four word titles, but I did come across one that just happened to be on the same Blu-ray double feature that Slice and Dice and Dave was talking about two episodes ago. What? All right, so on this Blu-ray double feature, there was the movie Happy Birthday to Me, which does in fact have four words in the title, but then I remembered, oh wait, Slice and Dice and Dave just talked about that two episodes ago. So... I decided to do the other one on the same disc. Four words, 1979, When a Stranger Calls. I had never seen this one before, but of course I know the premise because it's based on an urban legend. So I went into it thinking, well, is this where this legend started? Like, did this movie start this whole thing about, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but at this point, if you don't know this urban legend, I'm not sure how you got this far without hearing it like if you don't know the end of this sentence the call is coming from oh whoa pal that would be the hugest spoiler in in podcasting history 
<laughs> no, it would not. Because I, this... I know the rest of that. Do you know what would be a big spoiler? Um, the word... Spoiler. <laughs> Sorry. So this is a urban legend that started sometime in the 60s, they say. Basically, someone tormenting a babysitter on the telephone. And I was thinking, well, how are they going to make a whole Holy... movie out of this? Because I've seen the remake, ironically enough. And they did make a whole movie out of that. So when I started watching the 1979 version, I was very taken aback that there's no lead up. You're just thrown right into the, the situation. And I'm like, well, how are they going to stretch this? The first shot is of babysitter Jill Johnson, played by Carol Kane, walking up the street. Carol Kane is, a, is an Emmy Award winning actress for her role in Taxi. She was also in The Princess Bride. Do you remember what she played in The Princess Bride? You probably don't know because you, you don't know who I'm talking about. She was the wife of the Billy Crystal character. Very heavily made up, but definitely the same person. She was also Academy Award nominated early in her career. Actually, there are three actors in this movie that have Academy Award nominations. No wins, though. So Jill, the babysitter, arrives to babysit the kids, and the parents are going out for dinner, and they're like, help yourself to anything in the fridge. It's fully loaded. And, and Jill's like, sweet. And she goes to sit down, and she talks to her friend on the phone, and, and then she gets a phone call. And the voice on the other end of the phone says, have you checked the children? And she's like, ah. And then the guy hangs up. A little while later, the phone rings again and slightly louder. Like in this in this movie, every time the phone rings, they made the, the ringing louder and louder and louder. And just reminded me of the conversation we had about Black Christmas, Grave Robber Jeff, where you were talking about how effectively they used the phone as like an antagonistic force in that movie. This is another perfect example of that. The phone goes from being something that is comforting and a source of you know, connection to others to being something that she's terrified of because she doesn't want it to ring again. Every time he calls, he just says, have you checked the children? As the urban legend goes, she calls the police. Actually, as the story in Black Christmas goes, she calls, they call the police and they try to trace the call. And so I'm not going to spoil what happens, but I am going to say that the resolution of the first 20 minutes well, it, it ended up on horrornews.net as one of the most horrifying opening scenes of all time. It really was a masterclass intention. It really reminded me of like an Alfred Hitchcock setup or execution or, or something like that. This movie was directed by Fred Walton, based on a screenplay by himself and Steve Feck. They both did a short film in 1977, two years earlier, called The Sitter which was basically the 20-minute opening of this movie. So they took that short film and they extended it into feature length. And I'll just mention here that Fred Walton is also the director of April Fool's Day, which Grave Robber Jeff talked about. He also directed the 1993 TV movie sequel to When a Stranger Calls, called When a Stranger Calls Back. And amazingly enough, there are a couple of returning characters in that movie. All right, so how did they stretch this movie over 91 minutes? Well, slapped into the middle of this movie is a police procedural. The detective, played by Charles Durning, 
has retired from active duty and he's a private investigator now. Running around town after an escaped mental patient, Kurt Duncan, played by Tony Beckley. He's trying to find this guy in, in downtown Los Angeles. I think that's where it's set. I was going to make a joke about how hard it must have been for this guy to do so much running and stuff because he's not in the best shape. But then I was looking into this Charles Durning guy, and turns out he's a very well-decorated military veteran. He was actually on Omaha Beach on D-Day. He survived that. He went on to battle in the Battle of the Bulge as well. Overall, he was awarded a Silver Star, a Bronze Star, and three Purple Hearts for military, military service. So I'm going to give him lots of slack on his physical exertion in this movie. Though I think there were times when he should have caught up to this character, let's put it that way. Alright, so as mentioned, Tony Beckley plays Kurt Duncan. He's, he was actually terminally ill while he filmed this movie, and so he's the, he's the escaped mental patient that John Clifford is chasing after. I think everybody in this movie did a great job of acting. The middle part of the movie just, just stretched the believability a bit too much, and it wasn't exactly that exciting. I've seen reviews that say, well, you gotta watch the first 20 minutes. It still holds up today, and I'm going to say that myself. This is something that you could turn on this movie and just watch that. You've already seen the best this movie has to offer at that point. There's very little actual on-screen violence or gore, but there is some disturbing content in there. I won't get into details on what it is. It's kind of hard to do, like, trigger warnings and stuff without spoiling what happens. There is a body count in this movie, but you never really see too much. And they originally rated it PG back in 1979, but before it was released, the, the head of the MPAA watched it himself, and he, he's like, well, no, no, this... We can't have kids watching this. This is way too scary. So they rated it R, even though there's not much that happens on screen that's actually violent. It's a perfect example of what should have been a PG-13. All right, so I'm going to rate 1979's When a Stranger Calls. I mean, the, the first 20 minutes, I would rate an 8 out of 10. But because there's more movie that comes after that, it kind of drags it down a bit. So I'm going to say a 6.5 out of 10 overall. Definitely something you should watch. The acting was great. It got lost in itself in the middle part. They were trying to, trying to stretch it out too much. Sorry, was that a remake or it was remade later? This was the original. It was remade later. And if I remember, because I watched the remake, they actually stretched the whole babysitter concept over the entire runtime. So there's no, like, police guys chasing escaped mental patients in the remake. And I have not seen the sequel, When a Stranger Calls Back, so I can't comment on that one. But there's a slight little connection between When a Stranger Calls Back and our feature review of Popcorn, which I'll get to when we talk about Popcorn. The remake theme seems to be coming up quite a lot. It's going to come up with mine as well. But uh, I think I'm going to try to watch that original one first. Because I tend to watch the remake first before the original, so I might go the other way around with that one. Well, well, Jason, how can our listeners watch When a Stranger Calls? All right, well, in Canada, you can watch When a Stranger Calls 1979 on Plex. Remember Plex? That's the one I was very frustrated with when I tried to watch Toxic Avengers, so I don't recommend Plex. I would say in Canada... You know, you can rent it on Apple TV for four ninety nine. You might want to do that to avoid the frustration of Plex. 
I guess Plex is never going to sponsor this well, podcast. Well, now i got to watch a movie on Plex. <laughs> well, why would they sponsor it? They're an ad-driven uh, service, aren't they? Well, I guess so. In the U.S., you've got some more options here. It is streaming on Prime Video and Peacock and Vudu and Tubi and Canopy, whatever that is, and Redbox. Well, thank you, Jason the Terrible, for your review of When a Stranger Calls from 1979. It was 1979, right? It was, in fact. Woohoo! I was paying attention. All right, Slice and Dice and Dave. Have you rolled the dice in your scream sack? How the hell can I roll my dice in my scream sack? No, I rolled it out of the scream sack. And let's just be let's just be real here, fellas. I had a witness to my dice rolling. So I, you know what? I don't know how much uh, validity I can I can accept with your guys' rolls. But I had somebody to witness my roll, and I goddamn shook up that dice. I threw it on the damn. I don't know where I threw it actually. Uh, in into a cardboard box. No, I think I threw it like I had the because I, I got it from a game, and then I opened up the box and I think I threw it in the lid of the game. And it doesn't matter where I threw the dice. The fact of the matter is I rolled a four, the same as you, Jason the Terrible. So you've taken all my thunder away. But I didn't find it nearly as hard to pick a movie with four titles or four titles. You have to pick a movie with four titles. <laughs> well, Jesus Christ. No, uh, this one. I uh, <laughs> I love how I love how I opened up my scream sack to find this one, but it wasn't in there. I said, "Well, screw the scream sack," and I threw it across the room, and I picked "As Above, So Below," directed by John Eric Dowdle from 2014. Now, like as you heard in my uh, rant, there I threw my scream sack across the room because nowhere in Canada or the states, for that matter. Can you stream this right now? At least not via the list that Letterboxd gives you. Without renting it. Without without dropping your hard-earned money. So I was very lucky because I back when I had Movie Central that turned into the movie network that turned into Crave, so it was a while ago, I recorded it onto my PVR. <laughs> and I haven't seen it since then. And I finally watched it. The only way out is down. When a team of explorers ventures into the catacombs that lie beneath the streets of Paris, they uncover the dark secret that lies within this city of the dead. That's right. As above, so below. <laughs> I always say that's right, don't I? What's cool about this particular movie, it kind of takes the storyline. You guys know like uh, Dante's Inferno? Like all that hell business and stuff? Well, that's basically what this is kind of going off on, as they say. So it's a, it's a found footage movie. It's funny, because if you tell me a movie's found footage, I'm like, oh, for God's sakes. But to be fair, if a found footage movie is done well, it could be a pretty good, uh, terrifying movie. Uh, in this particular case, I believe it is indeed the latter of more done well. The, our director, director John Eric Dowdle, also did, uh, if you remember, Quarantine, which I believe was the remake of Wreck, wasn't it, Jay? It was. He also did um, another um, movie that I haven't seen yet, but it's on Tubi, so I'll have to watch. Look out for it. The Plow Keepsy Tapes. Have you guys heard of that one? Or not the Plow Keepsy. Poughkeepsie. Yeah, the Poughkeepsie Tapes. Plow Keepsy. 
And just like that, I have to find another podcast. No, and remember the other day when I said, hey, you remember the movie Devil? I kind of like that one, the one in the elevator. Well, he goddamn directed that as well. So son of a bitch, he's got a little bit of uh, directing under his belt. And he, he as well did As Above, So Below. Uh, so it kind of starts, so, well, pfft. have you guys ever been to Paris, you freaks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've been to Paris. Jeff, you went, did, no, maybe Jeff, you haven't been to Paris, have you? I have not, no. Paris. They call it, they call it Paris. No, just kidding. But anyway, um, Jay, when you were in Paris, did you explore the catacombs that lie beneath the city? I was there with my class trip in grade 12, and I don't think my teacher was going to take us down into the catacombs, but I have heard that, yes, you can go explore well, the, the catacombs not? in Paris. Yeah, like it's a it's, it's a historical part of history, some might even say. Now, I've been to Paris. I was only there for a few days, and my main focus was proposing to my wife. So, sadly, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't uh, make it to said catacombs. Maybe I should have proposed in the catacombs. That would have been pretty cool. cool. So neither of us have been to the catacombs in Paris. But boy, after watching this movie, you'll want to look up the website, catacombs.paris.fr, and book your tickets. (laughs) No, just kidding. The uh, film production got permission from the French authorities, and they actually shot it in the real catacombs of Paris. So what you're seeing is what you're getting. And obviously, production down in the catacombs would have been pretty tricky, because you know there's there's not uh, very much electricity down there, so they had to, you know, do get the old Jenny up to do a little work, I would assume, and and uh, no cell phone service, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, the, the budget was a five million dollar budget, and uh, the box office raked in forty one point nine million, so it was a success at least at the box office. It was a pretty cool movie. It starts uh, with with our main gal. Scarlet, played by Perdita Weeks. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Perdita. Probably not. Oh, she's from Cardiff, Wales. Wonderful. Oh, hey, man, she was in Ready Player One. I brought that up a couple. Oh, my God, she was in Spice World, starring the Spice Girls. Another horror movie. Uh, I'm just, just kidding. That wasn't a horror movie. She was a great actress in this particular one. I liked her. She was good. She's like a young scholar, and she's continuing her dead father's search for the Philosopher's Stone. So let's just get that straight. Uh, everybody knows the Philosopher's Stone from that movie, uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. The stone is capable of turning base metals into gold or silver and granting eternal life. So obviously that's why you would want to get it. Starts off, I think, I believe we're in Iran. She finds the Rose Key artifact in a cave and then uh, they demolish the cave which was kind of a pretty intense opening scene, which was pretty sick. She then travels to Paris to, because she believes she has found the location of said Philosopher's Stone, and they lie, it lies deep within the catacombs beneath Paris. So she finds a team to go with her, including her former lover, George, who doesn't really want to go into the catacombs. Things happen. George ends up going into the catacombs with them. <laughs> This doesn't give anything away, but this is pretty cool because they they just get down in there. They go through a a different way than like your normal tourist type group, right? So they go in this uh, sketchy way, and then like there's there's candles lit, and then there's music not music playing, but people like 
chanting or whatever and you're like what the shit's going on and they look in there and there's all these like naked people chanting with painted and stuff and you're like that's kind of (laughs) creepy you know what i'm saying anyway it's pretty cool there's some cool stuff in there then it's basically uh finding their way through the catacombs hell related things confusing related things scary related things getting lost related things uh there's some deaths that occur and they keep going down into these catacombs and you're like wait a second they keep saying hey we got to go down to get out but but how the hell do you get out by going down ha that's why if you're aware of the dante's inferno business you'll know what the hell's going on if you're not aware you'll be like what the hell's going on <laughs> uh it's pretty cool it's pretty scary there's uh some satan say satan business in there some gore i thought it was a pretty good movie like there's uh, there's not much else to get into i watched it on the old computer screen in the kitchen in the complete dark and i was i was in the mood for a movie like this so it really hit the spot what else can i say <laughs> oh i guess i could talk about other actors because they deserve it it's pretty good nicely acted movie a gentleman named uh, ben feldman plays her love interest george uh you guys might know ben feldman from jeff you remember um there's a big time movie you used to like called cloverfield Oh, yes, I'll be talking about that in a bit as well. Cloverfield? Today? Did you pick Cloverfield? No, but it's related to my my movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would have been quite the, uh, quite the surprise. Anyway, plays Travis in Cloverfield, plays Richie in a movie that we've just reviewed fairly recently, Friday the 13th from 2009. He was in Superstore, which was a pretty popular series, I think. I haven't seen that yet, but anywho. So he's a pretty good dude, Ben Feldman. Benji, the, the camera guy. Edwin Hodge. He's been in stuff. The Purge, election year. The Purge. Big Mama's House as baseball team number one. <laughs> I think that's about it, guys. Like, I mean, I, there's a lot of people that, I guess it, it wasn't like the best received movie. But I was watching it. I got interested. I, I was more like... There's, there's, these catacombs are underneath France, you know, like I knew, but I didn't know, I guess, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of cool. So just for that alone, I think it's pretty cool. As above, so below from 2014. Did you give that one a rating? I can't remember. Oh shit, I did not, Jeff. I gave it a seven out of 10. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Slice and Dice and Dave. Grave Robber Jeff, it's your turn. What did you roll on your die of death? Grave Robert Jeff's Fresh Dig. On my die of death, I rolled number three. Yes, I was happy that it was a different number, because otherwise that would have defeated the purpose a little bit there. So after seeing the three, I thought, yes, that shouldn't be too bad. I went through my Blu-ray collection, which isn't as big as your guys's, just to see if there was some that I hadn't watched yet. Because I've accumulated a few over the years. Uh, well, not so much these last few years, but on Boxing Day at Walmart. Do you guys remember Boxing Day at Walmart? I do. God, the best time of my life going and getting cheap Blu-rays on Boxing Day. God damn it. Tons of movies and TV shows you can get for dirt it's cheap. Just, it's just not the same anymore, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I, I couldn't remember if I got this one from that bin or not, but... The one that matched the word requirement was 2010's Let Me In. 
Ooh, let me in. That's a remake of one of my favorite vampire movies, Jeff. Let the right one in. Oh, have you seen Let the Right One In? I sure have, Jeff. And I think I think I have Let Me In as well. But I don't think I've seen it. So this will be interesting to hear what you have to say about it. I actually had no idea what it was about. I had no idea it was a remake. All I know is I had the Blu-ray, so I just jammed it into the player. Press play and just let the magic unfold. Oh, the one thing I did know about it, because I, I didn't read the... Uh, synopsis on the back but but there's a big quote on it saying stephen king declares this movie the best of 2010 or or something like that yeah but i remember talking about how stephen king was scared by the witch and we didn't think that was a revelation (laughs) that's true that's true but anytime stephen king comes up because he's just been such a cultural icon as as people say anyways for those that are looking for a bit more information rather than just watching it Here's the synopsis. A bullied young boy befriends a young female vampire who lives in secrecy with her guardian. So I had no idea it was a vampire movie. And I had no idea it was this kind of vampire movie. And I'll just preface this by saying it's uh, an hour and 56 minutes long. Yes, but I own this one, so I've made myself watch it. And I'm glad I did. I'm just trying to figure out if I should talk about the uh, connection to the remake first or last. I will do it after. So the thing that's interesting about this one is the characters are 12 years old, or thereabouts. And it's always hit or miss if you enjoy the young actors or not. In this case, I have to say that they were spectacular. So the young boy was played by... Cody Smith McPhee, who went by the name of Owen in the movie, and uh, X-Men fans might know him as Nightcrawler from certain Marvel movies. And playing the young female vampire is Chloe Grace Moretz, who people might remember from Kick-Ass, which is not a horror movie, but it was a very entertaining uh, movie in itself. And actually, this one came out the same year as Kick-Ass, so Miss Chloe was very busy at the time. She then went on to do uh, Carrie in 2013. So the movie starts with, or it doesn't really start with, the movie centers around Owen and his day-to-day life. And unfortunately, his parents are getting divorced. And the mom is not taking it too well. And Owen is not having fun in the situation. He's feeling very... Kind of like an outcast because he's not getting any attention from his mom. He's having trouble at school because people are bullying him like crazy. So just not a lot of fun for young Owen. But then one night while he's sitting on his playground jungle gym. I think that's what they're like. like kind of like a jungle gym type thing with like things you climb on and stuff. Monkey bars? Not quite monkey bars, but you know those apparatus type things you you climb on or whatever. Anyways, he finds out that that a young lady has just moved in next door. And that happens to be Abby. And she's she's just not... He doesn't think that she is a normal kid. So he's very intrigued uh, what's, what's her what her deal is. And over the course of a few nights, they talk and get to know each other. And that's where this movie is a bit different from your standard horror fare. Because 
it really concentrates on the relationship between these two. Although there is definitely horror elements in it. And a few pretty, pretty intense scenes on the horror scale. At its heart is kind of more of a drama, human relationship type, type movie. And I gotta say that that's not a deterrent at all. Because those two do such a good job in this one. That the two hours really fly by, in my opinion. But it's not just like, it's not like Twilight. Like, did you guys ever see Twilight? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know if I ever actually saw Twilight. And so I don't know if there's any, like, gore and violence in Twilight or not. I can tell you that Twilight and Let Me In have very little in common. Let's put it that way. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> the other thing is it's neat because they're, they're 12-year-olds. So it's not like your typical high schooler tale or whatever in the horror elements the guy that's i guess i sort of called him the guardian earlier played by richard jenkins who's kind of on the lookout for abby unfortunately abby being a vampire needs needs food as as we all know and so it's up to him to go out and, and get the food and that leads to a couple of very uncomfortable scenes i guess you can say there's one in particular when someone gets uh, strung up a bit that I was like, Ugh! Ugh! that was my reaction. Um, so they're, they're sprinkled throughout the movie, these little sequences of, of gore and uh, yeah, not too pleasant. It, it's, it's such a sharp contrast to the, to the drama of it. I think that's why I liked it so much because, because there's horror in it. Like we, like we always talk about. But there's also a good story and a drama kind of story as well. I guess that's, that's pretty much the, the summary of the show. So here's an interesting thing. The director, Matt Reeves, uh, directed one of my favorite movies of all time, Cloverfield, which uh, Dave just mentioned earlier. He actually directed a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies. War of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I, w I worked on War of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, did you? Isn't that cool? Cool. So yeah, I did those two. And he also did The Batman that just came out. I don't know if you guys have seen that one yet. Apparently people like it. Though. Hey, <sighs> whoa. Hey, Robert Pattinson is the Batman. And we were just talking about Twilight. What a small world. <laughs> it sure is. But I have to say that Matt Reeves, because now he's directed two movies that I really liked. I'll be on the lookout for what he does next, that's for sure. So just to talk about the remake business a bit, because as Dave mentioned, the Let the Right One In was a Swedish horror movie released in 2008. So it's funny how these remakes like really strike quick. As this happened with uh, The Ring as well, we talked about in the past, where it was just a couple years from the release of one to the release of the Hollywood remake. So that's definitely the same case here, 2008. And then they got right on it and put one out in 2010. And the original Swedish one is, is very popular. Everybody loves it. Including me. Yeah, so I'm not sure if this is another example of where I should have watched the original first or not. Although I did not know it was a remake when I watched it. So it's based on a book written by John Lindquist in 2004. And John Lindquist actually wrote the screenplay for the Swedish version of the film. 
And I haven't looked too much on comparisons between the two because I haven't seen the original. But people seem to be saying that it's pretty faithful to the original, but not completely. I know the original guy who did, or the director of the original, wasn't happy that it got remade. But I guess that's just part of, part of life in the film business. I think they both ended up as being very good films. I think the point is that the first one was so good that why couldn't they just watch the first one? Why did they have to make another one? And that's where the Hollywood machine comes in. I like them. I'm, I don't think I'm head over heels for them like a lot of people are. Yeah, I think it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. But if if you're drawn into the, the acting and the story like I was in this particular instance, I can see why people like it. But this is, a, once again, just opinion on the remake because I haven't seen the original. Uh, but I'm going up the ladder a bit to a 8.2 out of 10 for this one, which is a very high oh, wow. rating on the Grave Robber scale. 8.2 out of 10. Good job, Grave Robber Jeff. Well, it's yeah. a good job on the right film. On. Thank you, Grave Robber Jeff. It is. It's hilarious because you know how I've seen The Ring before. I haven't even seen Ringu yet. And I'm all like, whatever about Ringu. But then I've seen Let the Right One In before Let Me In. And I'm all like, why the hell did they do a remake? <laughs> it's pretty funny, isn't it? All right. Thank you, Grave Robber Jeff, for that review of Let Me In. And now it's time. Grab your popcorn because it's the feature presentation. And now watch out for our feature presentation. All right, so I picked popcorn, and I guess it was divine intervention because both Grave Robber Jeff and Slice and Dice and Dave wanted to see it, and I've always wanted to see it. I like these movies that take place in theaters, and they're sort of meta, and I've heard a lot of good things about this one. So I noticed that it was coming up in the new releases on Shudder, and I said, all right, well, it's either this one or The Prowler. But we had just done a bunch of slashers, so I decided to go with popcorn. 1991. So right off the bat, it's a lot more recent than I thought it was, actually. I thought it was an 80s movie, but clearly not. Yeah, it's only a couple of years after the 80s, you see what I'm saying? So it's still pretty close, right? Being a movie that references all sorts of older movies, it's important to put it in context. It doesn't really reference a lot of slashers, and that's the interesting thing. It, it really references more of the older 50s, 60s, 70s movies. So Yeah, like The Tingler. Remember, remember when we were talking about all those movies, like with the 3D and the electric shocks and stuff? Well, that's what these ones are all about. Yeah, well, we're smell gonna, of vision. We're going to get into all of that. I've got notes on all of that. So, so let me introduce the synopsis there. I, no, but 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 I, I don't I don't have any notes. So this is just all flying off the top of my head. I can't stop it. Well, mute yourself then. <laughs> oh, let, I'll mute myself and I'll listen, gentlemen. All right, so Popcorn, directed by Mark Harrier. And the synopsis, well, I guess I'll take it from Letterboxd for now. A horror film festival held in a theater which was once the scene of a tragic fire turns into a real-life horror show. And just to flesh that out a little bit, since it's a one-sentence synopsis, it's a group of kids in a film class in their high school. They decide they want to make some money and, and raise some money to film their own projects, so they, they host a horror marathon three movies at this rundown soon to be demolished theater and the theater's got a history there was a family that was killed by a deranged father there was a fire 
I mean, I guess the fire wasn't too bad since the theater's still there, right? But now Maggie, who's in the film club, has started to have dreams that seem to be related to what happened in that theater. As the horror film festival progresses, certain people are being killed by a mysterious assailant in the same crazy methods as the movies that are being shown on the screen, kind of. I think one of the first things we have to mention here is that this is a movie that was produced by Bob Clark. He did not want to direct it because he wanted his only horror movie to be Black Christmas. We talked a lot about Bob Clark in our Bob in our Black Christmas episode. He passed on directing this one. He passed it on to actually originally Alan Ormsby, who wrote the screenplay with Mitchell Smith. And Alan Ormsby was responsible for the three movies that they show within this movie. So the three movies they show within this movie are actual fictional movies that they directed for this production of Popcorn. And apparently, well, something obviously didn't really work, and Alan Ormsby did not direct any of the actual Popcorn movie. It was directed instead by Mark Harrier, who was an actor who played Billy in Porky's in all three Porky's movies. And of course, Bob Clark is the director of Porky's, so you can see how this group of people was kind of tied together. Alan Ormsby even wrote Porky's too. And he was a makeup guy who did the movie Shockwaves, but he also wrote the screenplay to cat people and children shouldn't play with dead things all over the place. So filmed in Kingston, Jamaica, which might answer the question of why we see so much Jamaican music in this movie. I have to talk about the music. All right, well, why don't we jump right into that? You want to jump right into that? <laughs> I don't know if you want to put this in a different part, but there is a song in this movie <laughs> that made me so damn happy that <laughs> it was unbelievable. And it has been in my head for days afterwards. Was it get this. Was the it... song is called Saturday Night at the Movies. Oh, yeah. It was originally done by the Drifters in the 50s. But because they were in Jamaica, they got a couple of Jamaica guys to do a reggae version of it. <laughs> Jamaica guys. And it is so... It, it is just insane how happy this song made me. Saturday Night at the Movies. And, uh, it's right in the middle of the, of the horror movie. I know. Oh my God. There, there's a couple like falsetto runs in there. Sorry for those who don't know singing lingo. But it just, just penetrates your brain with happiness it's like it's just hard to explain <laughs> anyways i i did i really I enjoyed like, what, the music. what the hell are we watching here for god's sake <laughs> well i was i was and the funny thing is like the whole the whole theater is like out of power at that point but they can get up there and perform a musical number yeah but that's <laughs> like, not the, the song hell? that you're talking about anyway. is it great robert you're talking about the the one about scary movies right 
I'm talking about the one, the Saturday night at the movies, the one when they were setting everything up originally that was playing in the background. Oh. Yeah, and the one that plays over the end credits. No, it was a different oh, yeah. song over the end credits. I thought it was the same song over the end credits. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to go back and check because I'm going to include the song in the podcast because it's more fun that way. We want our Wait. listeners. Yes, that's you, listener. We want you to be happy. <laughs> So we're going to play you this damn happy song that's in the middle of popcorn. Hey. Saturday night at the movies, who cares what picture you see? When I met you, baby, the last one about the You have to trust me on this because I would know if it was repeated. It was not repeated. I listened to it 30 <laughs> times. There you go. <laughs> okay, well, I must be thinking of a different song then, so I'm going to have to double check with you. There was a, there were three different reggae songs in there, but the one I'm talking about is just the first. <laughs> Anyways, that's enough about the reggae. All right, all right, all right. Well, that was fantastic. Hey, can I bring up something that I really, really enjoyed about this particular movie? One of my new favorite actresses happens to be in this movie, and she's the main gal. She's the main goddamn gal. And her, her character's name's Maggie. Gentlemen, we all know her from a movie that we just, uh, what do you call it, reviewed a few few episodes back, The Stepfather. You'll, you'll remember me talking about how she was a mix of, <laughs> I'm sure she'd appreciate hearing this, but a mix of like a, a Phoebe Cates and a Mary Stuart Masterson. Remember that? Jill Shulin. Yeah. God, I, I, oh, there's something about her that... Any movie with her in it, and I will like it now. Just all of a sudden. You know how like you just you just find something in the world that 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 you like so much for some reason. For some reason, I think she's the perfect horror movie actress. And and I didn't like I didn't even really know of her until like the past year. There's no way I could not like this movie with her being in it, is all I'm trying to say. Jill Shulin actually has a connection to When a Stranger Calls because she is in the sequel, When a Stranger Calls Back. You, you gotta be kidding me. And she was also in Phantom of the Opera 1989. But I mean, other than that, I don't think she's been in that many horror movies. So you might be out of luck there, Slice and Dice and Dave. The Curse 2, The Bite. I'll be looking for that one. And if I can find out how to watch When a Stranger Calls Back, I will watch it. And I already owned The Phantom of the Opera because what's-his-name's in it? Robert England. So I purchased that one. And actually, that's a pretty good movie. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it was a pretty good one, actually. Good news for you, Slice and Dice and Dave. In Canada, you can watch When a Stranger Calls Back on Tubi and Prime Video. <gasps> yeah! Thank God we live in Canada, gentlemen. I bet you it's like all over in America and UK and everywhere as well. <laughs> It is on Tubi in the U.S., but that's about it. It's on Freevee as well, which is a Prime Video channel, but it's not actually on Prime Video Prime, if that makes oh, sense. But anyway, we're not you know talking what? about When a Stranger and, and Calls Back. you know back. what? Yeah. Nope. Popcorn. God damn it, popcorn. All right, so you guys talked about something you liked about this movie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right into what makes this movie so meta and what people take away from this, from what I understand, and that's... The loving homages it pays to the gimmicks that were done in movie theaters back in the 50s and 60s. It's interesting that people call this a meta movie, or maybe they don't, and maybe I'm just assuming that they do, but it's not a movie where they know they're in a movie. 
but it's a movie about horror movies and it's taking inspiration from the movies that they're showing in the movie so it is a little twisted that way let's get specific here they show three movies the first one is called mosquito and it's kind of your typical animal or insect grows to proportionally tremendous size due to some nuclear exposure or testing and so this one is a giant mosquito and the effect that they use in the theater is what, Grave Rubber Jeff? It's the big, big mosquito. They use a big mosquito and they and they <laughs> run it across the top of the ceiling of the theater as everybody in the in the theater is throwing popcorn and yelling at it. So of course this is a reference to I don't know if they it was pronounced Emergo or Emergo, but William Castle had a skeleton fly across the ceiling of a theater during House on Haunted Hill. And so that's what this is referring to. I think the skeleton was not to the same level of detail that this mosquito is, because this is a pretty damn good-looking mosquito. And also a very sharp one, as it turns out. Yeah, the probiscus? Probis- what does he call it? Probosis. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. <laughs> you sure know a lot about mosquitoes, pal. Whoa. All right, and then the second movie... The second movie is called The Attack of the Amazing Electrified Man. This is referencing the Percepto system, also used by William Castle, where during the movie The Tingler, they rigged up the seats to to buzz under the people so they would think they were being electrocuted. I seem to remember that it was not an electric shock that Percepto was delivering to these people. It was just buzzing their chair to make it seem like it was an electric shock. In this movie... It is very much an electric shock, but it is, it's an obvious reference to that. So our first two references are straight back to William Castle, that wacky guy who was doing anything he could to promote his movies. So then we get to the third movie, which is called The Stench. And I, I thought it was pretty funny that it was a Japanese dubbed movie. Remind me, guys, was there much footage actually happening in this movie other than those two guys standing there saying, hey, things smell weird? No, that was pretty much it. This is a throwback to the smell of vision And you were asking earlier, Slice and Dice and Dave, did they ever actually use smell-o-vision? And I got to tell you, yeah. boy, did they ever use smell-o-vision. That just seems like a, not the smartest thing to do, right? Because well, if I'm sitting there and I smell like, like a poop smell, I wonder how many people would just like yarf all over the place, you know? And then you start like inhaling it in your lungs and you're like, oh, I can't get this poop smell out of my lungs. Blah. You know what I'm saying? Is that okay. what happened? Well, Tell me so, what happened. So I'm not sure why you think they would use a poop smell. Now in, in Popcorn the movie, they use <laughs> a lot of... the first of, thing that comes to my mind. In Popcorn the movie, they use a lot of funky smells. They don't even use poop smell in that. I'll go through the list when we get here, but there's like 12 or 15 different scents and none of them are excrement. So there you go. Smell-o-vision... Well, one's like body odor or something, isn't it? In popcorn, yes. But I'm talking about where actual smell-o-vision was used in a real movie. Ooh, I'd like to hear. Go on, please. All right, so in 1960, there was a movie called Scent of Mystery. Specifically, they used the smell-o-vision system for this movie. And smell-o-vision was invented by a Swiss professor named Hans Loeb, who lived from 1900 to 1976. He demonstrated this concept at the 1939 New York World's Fair. And his system was 
little personalized delivery spritzers that are on the back of each seat in the theater. So it would be a little puff of scent and then a little puff of like something that would eradicate the scent so that it would go away. The plan here was, like I said, there were about 15 things. They would put in this, the scents for pipe tobacco, coffee, roses, wine, gunpowder, peppermint, shoe polish, gasoline, perfume, flowers, brandy, fresh sea air, peaches, bananas, and wood shavings. They had this whole thing set up. Without getting into too much detail, the system flopped pretty spectacularly. I think it, <laughs> I think it worked well in one case, but typically what, what they would do, and I think they only tried it in three or four actual theaters, Typically what they did was instead of using the really expensive like personalized delivery system on each chair, they just did sort of what they did in, in popcorn, which was send the scent in through the air conditioner. So some people got really strong scents and some people didn't get any sense at all. And, and the funny thing that I read here was that there would be all these sounds of people down in the front sniffing trying to un identify the scent because it was so faint and so i can just imagine being in this theater and like having all these people sniffing all the time it would pre probably was pretty distracting and added to that they didn't use the the scent cancellation in between each scent and they didn't suck out the old <laughs> scent they could have just you know re reversed the motors or something to take out the scent and then put in a new scent no they just kept adding scents so <laughs> Probably by the fifteenth scent, that was it was just like, oh my god, what what am I smelling? <laughs> that's that's the poop scent that I was referring <laughs> to by the end. <laughs> yes, you mix all that together, that's it just why turns it didn't brown. Take off. <laughs> Gross. All right, so that's the backbone of the references to the earlier movies. What did you guys think about the the movies within the popcorn movie? I didn't think too much. Like the first, like you say, the first two were okay. Like I thought they were kind of cool. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, it was it was cooler than I'm giving it credit for. Uh, this mosquito one was pretty cool. The shocking guy was pretty cool. You see a little bit of each movie, but then you're right with the stinky one. There wasn't much to that one. I guess by then you're further into the movie and you're not really so much worried about the movie on the screen, but what's actually going on. It was pretty fun watching the audience reaction to the gimmicks in, in the movie. The guys who were in the theater. Like, that part was pretty fun. People getting shocked and smelling stuff. Yeah. I would have been. I would have liked to have been the guy that got to press all the buttons to shock everybody. You couldn't pay me, or I couldn't... You couldn't pay me enough? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, you wouldn't have I, to be paid. I, I would like that job. <laughs> All right, so then let's talk about the wraparound story, essentially, the main story that Popcorn is all about. We've got this huge cast of characters in this film club. Maggie, as you were talking about there, Slice and Dice and Dave, she's having these weird dreams. She's recording them all on her tape recorder. She's trying to write a screenplay, so she doesn't have time for the guy that is really interested in her, named Mark, played by Derek Rydell. Mark actually brings someone else to the theater on a date during this marathon, and, and that leads to some crazy hijinks. Just one more thing on the Jill Sholin character. I don't know if you guys read this. You probably did, but she wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. Oh, yeah. Three, what? Three weeks 
Three weeks of shooting went by with Amy O'Neill playing Maggie. The only Amy O'Neill I came up with was the one from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So I'm not sure if that's the same Amy O'Neill or not. So when Jill Sholin got involved, most of the movie was already shot. So she came in and just did her scenes as needed to, to fill in the blanks. It's kind of funny because I noticed that a bit, that, that she seemed a bit detached from the others, but I don't know if, if that was actually true or not, but it seemed that way to me. Well, she seemed lost in her head for sure. I mean, it worked for the character, but it does make sense now. Yeah, hey, and let's, I'm going to talk about the beginning of said movie. You know how it like starts off in a dream that just seemed so shitty and terrible? I said, oh my God, is that what this movie's going to be all about? And then thank God she wakes up and then it's like a normal movie. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Wasn't that just like, ugh. Well, you know what it reminded me of? Not just because it was in a theater no, too. That dream reminded me of the, the movie that they find in porno which we talked yeah. about in one of our practice episodes, which I promise will get released, even if it's just in a clip show format. There was a sequence in that movie that was very kind of satanic-like, like ritualistic and abstract. That's what I got from her dream and also from the movie that they find when they're setting up this horror movie marathon. We didn't talk about that, how when they were setting up Everything the Possessor. They, they find a movie called The Possessor. That starts to explain a bit, or they start to dig into the history of this theater and what happened there, and it all starts to tie together. The movie Porno that came out must have been influenced by Popcorn. I can't remember if we drew the connections back then. Watching this one now, it's, it's clear a, you as know day. What? Yeah, it's like when I'm watching Popcorn here, I'm thinking of Porno, <laughs> the movie. And then... Um, I was thinking of uh, demons that we just reviewed. Remember? Yeah. I also thought. Remember, like uh, to a degree, there's a there's an episode of. Now you know the the series American Horror Story, right? Yes. Well, there's also a series called American Horror Stories, which I don't know if it was a one off or what, but I I watched a couple episodes on Disney Plus. <laughs> Isn't that something? We can watch American Horror Stories on Disney Plus. Anywho, and there's an episode. Very kind of similar ilk to what we're talking about here, but it takes place at a drive-in theater, and it's about a movie that was played back in the day and made everybody go bonkers and kill each other, and then they're going to show it again. And that was a really cool episode. And so this kind of reminded me of that, so I'm wondering if it got a little bit something from that too. Any movie that takes place in a theater. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. That's a good, that's a good episode. You guys should check that one out. We haven't mentioned that D. Wallace is in this movie. Yeah, how could we not mention that? She plays Suzanne, the, the mom of Maggie. Her part's not huge, but she's around. She has some interesting things to do. D. Wallace has, is a genre mainstay, still makes tons of movies to this day. If you look at her IMDb filmography, it's, she's, more, she's working more than she ever has. She was famous for being in Cujo and even all the way back to E.T., Critters. Yeah, and Critters. Overall, what did you think of the acting? The one guy I thought was, was, was pretty good acting-wise was Tom Villard, who played Toby as a kind of a, a big part in the movie. Yep. I also want to talk about the performance of the villain, who we can't name for reasons of spoilerific things. But 
given the fact that there was a fire involved and there's some pretty gnarly burns, I was getting major Freddy Krueger vibes from this guy. Get out of town. The way things happen at the end where there's this big showmanship thing going on. Like I said, just major Freddy Krueger vibes. You could you could have put Robert Englund up on that stage and I don't think he would have done it much differently. The goddamn greatest showman or something. So yes, he's quite a character. Not necessarily a likable character, but an enjoyable character. Does that make sense? He's a cinematic character. I mean, yes, he's he's in a movie, and he is a character in said movie. So, yes, I guess I can agree with you there. <laughs> All right, well, should we move on to our rating segments, gentlemen? Just one last thing. Is it about the music? Um, is it about music? Oh, we've already talked about the music. I mentioned Jill <laughs> Shulin, uh, but it turns out the director was also replaced three weeks after. So something must have happened three weeks in that there's got to be more story behind that. Well, I did talk yeah. about the director getting replaced. You did? Oh, I did. So it's funny that the director and the <laughs> main actress that, but... both got replaced. Anyways, let's get on to the ratings. All right, well, let's start with the scary rating. Grave Robber Jeff. Me? You. Oh. That's you. Um, this movie seemed definitely older than it was, I think, a bit. I don't know if you guys got that idea, but it seemed like it could have been like an early 80s type movie. And, and there was a lot of like cool things with the gags and, and that sort of thing. But on a like a scary rating, I don't think it was that scary. Maybe a couple creepy things with like the Possessor video, but I would say pretty low, like a three and a half. Do you guys consider this a horror comedy? Um... I, you know, I could see you saying it's a horror comedy, but I wouldn't necessarily. I enjoyed this movie a lot, but if I were to make a top 10 horror comedy list, it would not be on there. Does that make sense? But I might have enjoyed it more than some of the movies on a horror comedy list. That's deep. So I, so I got to say, so I got to say no. I'm going to say no. It is listed yeah. as a comedy on IMDb horror and comedy but yeah I, I wouldn't call it a comedy like i can't remember anything that was super funny yeah it's more it's again one of those ones that where the concept is played as a farce i think yeah so scary getting back to that i agree with you grave robber it's it's not particularly scary yeah two or three Woohoo! oh i agree with you guys i'd say a three all right, well, Disturbometer. Actually, you know what? You know what, though? You know what? There was actually quite a, a scary scene with one of the gals up in the kind of catwalk there. And they're like, oh, hey, there's what's her name? And she's like, oh, hey, I'm this gal. And I was like, oh, she's kind of moving creepily. So, I, you know what? I'm going to go to three and a half or a four. It's wow. not very scary, though. All right, then. Yep. It's interesting that the... The three features that they showed in this theater during the movie weren't particularly scary. They were the type of movie that everyone can laugh at. So they missed an opportunity there too, but that wasn't really what they were trying to do. They were trying to show the audience having fun, right? Mm -hmm. So, Disturbable Meter. Should we go back to you, Grave Robber Jeff? So I don't know if it was the happy reggae music or not, but... <laughs> 
I, I can't remember <laughs> ever being disturbed in this movie, so I'll say mildly disturbing. Mildly disturbing. I'm going to jump on your coattails there, uh, Jeffrey, the Grave Robin specialist man. It's not very disturbing. You know, you kind of feel bad here and there. You kind of, but disturbing, you know. Uh, no. Jason? Very scientific of you. Details of what happened before with the ritualistic stuff could be considered disturbing, but it's the kind of disturbing where you're like, oh, that should be disturbing, but it's not. What's up next? I think we've got the gore meter, Slice and Dice and Dave. The gore meter. Let's see. Um, there's a couple blood scenes because people die, um, but there's nothing... I th there's there's some electric there's nothing gory, nothing gory. I'd say it's quite uh, moderate or quite mild even. I'd say maybe a fat two and a half out of ten for gore. Am I forgetting something, guys? Well, the burn makeup on the villain's pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I wouldn't personally. I wouldn't really classify that as gore though. Grave rubber. I'm on the mild boat for that one. I think there was a lot of anticipation for gore, but it never actually happened, if that makes sense. It's funny that a movie that came out in 1991 that's... Well, it, it, it goes back to the movies they're trying to reference, right? They're, they're referencing the, the classics from the 50s and 60s that never had a lot of gore. So there's a scene in the Mosquito movie where someone gets the blood sucked out of them, and it's done pretty comically. When things start happening, they're paralleling what's happening on the screen to an extent. And because what's happening on the on the screen is not particularly gory, I, I think that probably informs why they went that way. Does that make sense? Sure. I think so. Uh, oh, uh, but hoots and such. Hoots and sluts, such a plenty, <laughs> hoots as a matter sluts. of fact. Did I say sluts? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Let me think. I don't... There's nothing. Nothing. Not even... Uh, not even some lip smacking, is there? Um, lip smacking? Yeah, that's smooching. You know what I'm saying? Love making. Nothing. No hoots, no such, no wangs, no things. That's kind of interesting. With the lips and everything? Yeah, and the lips coming off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Thank you, Jeffrey the Grave Robber. Yeah, there's, there's one smooch. There and is I'd say one. it's unforgettable, but <laughs> obviously I forgot. But it is a good one. Yeah, there is one character in the movie club that's a little promiscuous. Nothing what? crazy. Who? Well, the one that got her lips, got the lips smooched off. She was sleeping with the teacher. Well, I wouldn't... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... The... That's what promiscuous is. You find out for like half a second and then she's offed. For the whole time she was there, yeah, she was being super promiscuous. That's why she yeah, died. We, no. That's what these movies do. Oh, for God's sakes, Jay. All right, guys, that leaves our final ratings for Popcorn 1991. Well, let me go first there, guys, if I'm not jumping in line. Everybody, I liked Popcorn. Uh, it didn't let me down. It, it's my type of movie. Even like when she's going to the school at the beginning and it's blasting some sort of song. Because I know, Jeff, you were talking about songs throughout and stuff. It's just my type of movie. Even though it was in the 90s, it felt like an 80s horror. And I gave it a fat 8 out of 10 because I enjoyed it. And at some point, I'll probably watch it again. 1991's Popcorn, 8 out of 10 from Slice and Dice and Dave. 
Thank you, Slice and Dice and Dave. You're welcome. All right, Grave Robber Jeff, how about you? What do you rate popcorn? I have a lot of mixed feelings about this one. There's lots of things I liked, but I wasn't a, as big a fan of how they wove the, the story in there and some of the choices they made there. But the movie-a-thon and all the gags and the music, definitely some of the actors, too. Definitely is a lot in the plus side. But I think the story, like, oh, I, I can't really talk about it without spoilers, but if it was a bit tighter, I think I would have liked it more. So overall, I'll come in with a six and a half out of ten. All right. Thank you, Grave Robber Jeff. I enjoyed this movie as well. It is fun to see all the references to earlier movies, and it's fun to actually see movies that they created to be shown within this movie. Ultimately, I think the problem I had with this is that I was expecting it to end in more of a clever way. You do get some kills that you've probably never seen before, so that's a plus. I mean, there's some characters that are a bit annoying, and there's some character subplots that I could have done without, I suppose. But ultimately, I, I wasn't too impressed with the ending. I was expecting more. So it left me with kind of a sour taste in my mouth there. It was fun enough for what it was, but I thought there was potential to turn things on its ear at the end, so to speak. I'm also going to give this one a six and a half. Grave Robber Jeff? Definitely worth watching. There are good things about it, but I think I had just really high expectations going into it. That's always dangerous. You two are not my brother's. Sorry, Slicen. I don't accept your apology. Popcorn was an easy eight out of... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, thanks for your reviews, you freaks. It feels like there was a lot to talk about in this movie. I just hope we did it. You're going to have to mush it all together somehow, right, Jay? Like we talked about the whole point of that, that Possessor movie and stuff. Yeah, in a roundabout way. Because there's such a large cast, we didn't get through everybody, but I feel like we should mention Tony Roberts, who plays the film club leader, like the teacher guy. I mean, he's still acting now at the age of 82. I don't think he was in a whole lot of horror stuff, though he was in Amityville 3D in 1983. Get out of town. I haven't seen that yet. And The Taking of Pelham 123 in 1974. Anyway, wanted nice. to mention him. Hey, I had a really good night of watching horror movies this week, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for the, the adventure through some horror movies this week. I thought they were good horror movies this week, Slice and Dice and Dave. If you have strong opinions about popcorn, and not just the snack, but the movie, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. You can contact us at watchouthorror at gmail.com, or better yet, visit us at our website, watchouthorror.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, as well as to all of our episodes in our back catalog, so you can find any of our episodes that you would like to listen to again and again and again and again. All right, I would like to thank Slice and Dice and Dave and Grave Robber Jeff for bringing it again this episode. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having us. As usual. So until next time, and there will be a next time, be safe. Treat each other well. And go watch some horror movies. Saturday night at the movies. God, it was good. Thank you for listening to Watch Out. 
The opinions you've just heard have been made by three guys from Canada. Please keep this in mind and enjoy responsibly. All right, how's that for a synopsis? Good enough. Eh. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, I digress. She's... Oh, wait, Jeff! She's in a movie called Chiller. Didn't you do a review of Chiller? Or am I right off the... Yeah! He did chill. Oh, shit, that's lame. Okay, well, Wes Craven did Chiller. And she's in it. I mentioned that... Jill Schlot. God, how do you say her last name? Shulin. <laughs> Is it Shulin? I mentioned Jew Shulin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Where he's like, and all the neighborhood dress up and come to. <laughs> God, it was great. And then the ladies come dressing with curves they do not hide. <laughs> so good. It was so good. Like, man, you got to listen to it again if you don't remember those parts. Yes. You know what? It's funny. Like, we talk about this because um, the, the movie theaters up here, Cineplex, at, at, throw. <laughs> Fucking learn to speak, dude. Uh, you guys have no sense of humor. Come on. Now. <laughs>